the reading. It's brilliant reading tonight. Not that it isn't always brilliant. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 1, and then verses 13 to 25, and I'm reading from the message. So, the life of freedom. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other and where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of, the, of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, Exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people.
we find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else, else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we, just, we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. True freedom. We've been going through the whole series on uh, healthy living, healthy spirituality. And kind of on, a, on oh, tonight's one is healthy freedom. Um, freedom. It's a really interesting whole subject, really. And, and it was great to hear. Victoria read that so brilliantly from the message, Galatians 5. It's a passage we've heard many times. I'll be referring to it a bit later on in, in the uh, NIV translation, NRSV translation as well, because it's, it's helpful to reflect on what is trying to be said to us. When I was thinking about freedom, um, I was thinking about it during the worship, and I was, I was suddenly reminded of, um, do you remember the film Braveheart? Some of you will have seen the film Braveheart. Great film, Mel Gibson. One of his better films. And it's, <laughs> it's a bit gruesome, but there's that bit at the end of the film where he's, he's been hung, drawn, and quartered, isn't he? Um, I won't go into too much detail, but just as he's kind of getting to the end of his life, let's put it that way, he kind of leans back and goes, Freedom! Uh, I was just reminded of that, really. Um, and then I thought I should be unfortunate, actually, at the moment with kind of the EU referendum and, and Scotland, you know, because actually, of course, the background to that whole story is Scotland fighting against the British. Uh, those of us with kind of English and Scottish heritage, you get quite confused when you're watching that film. Not quite sure what side to cheer, really, um, but you kind of cheer the Scots because they seem quite a jolly bunch. Um, but freedom, freedom. So there's people wanting freedom. Freedom from Europe right now. It's on the agenda, isn't it? People saying, we want our own laws. We want our own government. Well, we've got that now. People are going, well, I'm not sure I want this freedom. I'm a bit scared suddenly. And, and, and freedom, what does that mean? Scotland wanted independence from Britain at one point. England, you know, a couple of years ago, wanted freedom. Voted against it. Now they're saying, oh, well, we know we, know we do want it because we, we don't. There's all sorts of questions. What is freedom? Political freedom, individual freedom, freedom for a country, spiritual freedom, all those sort of things. It's really interesting. Every year, the Times comes out with a list of the top top universities in the country. Um, Bath's always up there. Some of you are students. Some of you have been students. Some of you will have looked at the list of the university you're going to and thinking, oh, look, oh, we're there. Or, oh, my goodness, we're down there. As well as the kind of proper times list. There's other lists that I've seen recently, which are for students to look at to see where is the kind of best places to go uh, out clubbing, which cities, which universities have the best nightlife, where's the good best universities to uh, go and get drunk at, best hardest drinking ones, best ones for nightlife, best ones for picking up girls I saw on one list. And you think, oh my goodness, what's going on here? But here's how it works for students, isn't it? I remember 
uh, it was quite a while ago, but I remember going to university, and before you go to university, there are these things called parents, and you live with them generally, and in their household, they will often say things like, under my roof, you will dot, 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 dot. Uh, so there's certain times that you have to be home, uh, certain uh, rules, chores, things that you do, times that you have to get up to... Be, uh, you get parents to wake you up, tell you to do stuff and when to go to bed and how to behave and how much to drink and there are the rules that are enforced. And then one day, you get all your stuff packed up in a car, you go off to university. You're, I remember this day very vividly. They help unpack into your room and then they go. And it's a very disconcerting moment. Now part of you wants to go, yay, I'm free. But part of you goes, oh my goodness. Who's going to wake me up tomorrow morning and make my breakfast? How do I get my clothes washed? And suddenly you have this whole new level of freedom. You, you know, you can choose when you get up in the morning. You can choose when you go to bed or if you go to bed. You can choose how to spend your money, how much to drink, all of those sort of things. Suddenly you have all this complete freedom. question is, how do you use that freedom? Do you use freedom at university to party like a wild thing? Or do you use your freedom to pursue the best possible education? Or, probably as the case with most students, fall somewhere in the middle and go backwards and forwards in some ways. So what, it's not just about being free, but it's what are you free to do on the other side of having that freedom? That's partly what I want us to look at tonight. We're going to look at this passage in Galatians. Galatians, by some, has been called the kind of Magna Carta of Christian life. The Magna Carta was this great charter of uh, liberties for England that basically says we as English people are free. Um, and Galatians talks about freedom. We're set free. Galatians says, you're set free from keeping the law as a means to salvation. You can experience salvation. You can experience God's blessing. You don't have to add anything to what Jesus has done in order to be accepted by God. Jesus has paid the entire price. But there's a bit of a problem here, and the problem is sort of this. If we don't have to obey in order to be accepted by God, if, 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 if God's grace is lavish and poured out on, on us, does that mean we can live any way we want to? If the gospel message is Jesus, just Jesus, nothing else, not works, not the law, not righteousness, not stuff that you do, just Jesus equals acceptance with God, well then what stops you accepting Jesus and then living a life of complete debauchery and wildness and free living uh, because we're no longer under the law? It's all grace, isn't it? In fact, there has been a movement. Some of you may have even read about this or heard about this. It's more in the States, but these waves come over, don't they? Something called hypergrace, the hypergrace movement. I don't know if you've heard about this. Often these things just get relabeled as something else. And one of the criticisms of hypergrace for many theologians is what they seem to be saying is, actually, because it's all been dealt with at the cross and everything's been forgiven, in a sense, it doesn't really matter how you live because God's grace has covered it all. I'm going to look at a little bit of that thought tonight. There's three things from this passage. I'm going to just read a quick section of it. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. So three things I want us to think about. First thing I want to say is what true freedom isn't. 
The second thing to look at is, well, what, what is true freedom then? And then finally, well, what does that mean for us? What is that revelation going to look like in our lives? So the first thing, what's, let's look at what true freedom isn't. When I was about 11, 11 years old, um, we, uh, we nearly moved to Iraq. Uh, we, it was Baghdad specifically. My father worked in the Middle East a lot, uh, worked in Iraq. He worked in Iran as well, which was a bit hairy when he was working both at the same time. But he worked in Iraq mainly. That was why he did a lot of work there. And at, at that point... We nearly moved. The option was there for us to move there for his work and for us to be based out um, in Baghdad in a compound living with other people. Now, at that point, it was a bit of a hairy place to live even then. But actually, relatively speaking, as a Westerner, it was very safe. Saddam Hussein was in charge um, at that time. He was our friend. We uh, did lots of work for him. We gave him lots of weapons. He was one of the good guys. It's funny how... History changes, isn't it, in a few years. But he was, he was on our team. Uh, and we were doing a lot of work for the government there uh, in all sorts of ways. Now, the country was under lots of persecution and regulations and oppression. It wasn't a beautiful place to live. But it was sort of relatively safe, certainly for a Westerner it was. And everyone towed the line. Everyone knew uh, no one would speak against Saddam Hussein, of course. And then, of course, history changes, and suddenly Saddam Hussein is no longer our friend. He's now our enemy, uh, and we're trying to take the weapons that we sold to him uh, and telling everyone that he was a bad person. Um, and, of course, he was ousted. There was the war. Saddam Hussein was ousted, and all the people... He was ousted as a dictator in order that the people could be free. I read this recently. It's just interesting, isn't it? Now, it's quite a long time ago now. But um, I read this. This was an account of life in Iraq. Ali was a young man with little money and no wife. This was all the incentive he needs to take the 90-minute uh, bus ride from his village to Baghdad. As soon as he arrived, the 21-year-old Iraqi st heads straight to Abu Abdullah's, where it costs him only $1.50 for 15 minutes alone with any woman he chooses. The room is a cell with a curtain for a door, and Ali complains that Abu Abdullah's women should bathe more often. But Ali sees the easy and inexpensive access to women as a big improvement over the days when Saddam Hussein was in charge. The dictator strictly controlled vices such as prostitution, alcohol, and drugs. The fall of the regime gave rise to every kind of depravity available. In addition to the brothels, Iraqis now have their choice of adult cinemas on every corner, where 70 cents will buy you an all-day ticket. Referring to all the newly available activities, Ali grins and says, it's amazing. Now we have so much freedom. Now, whatever you think of the war uh, and the regime change and world policing, I'm, sh I'm not sure that was the kind of freedom that was in Tony Blair's mind and the soldiers, that that was the kind of freedom they were expecting to bring to the people of Iraq. Now, some people read Galatians and think that that's what Paul's talking about. We're no longer under the law. The law was a set of rules and regulations that you had to try and keep up to, and you were constantly failing, and the Jewish people could never really get it right, and being under the law was so difficult. But now, we're no longer under the, under the law at all. So you can do what you want. Paul knows this is what some people are going to think. So he says in verse 13, For you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 19 to 21 is even clearer. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, drunkenness, orgies, and the, and the like. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I want you to imagine, um, this is what the Christian life is not about. That's the headline. This is what the Christian life is not about. And there's two columns. And in one column, you have the law. It's not about keeping a series of rules. Why not? Paul said earlier in in Galatians 2.16, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Later on in Galatians 3, he says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. You know, the point of the law, and Paul says this, that if you fail to keep one part of the law, then, you know, the whole of the law is, is, you can't do it. You've got to keep it all, and you can't. Human beings can't. The Christian life is not about keeping the law and trying to earn your salvation through good works and right deeds. It's impossible. It doesn't work. Nobody is good enough. That's the message of the Bible. You can't keep the law. It's not about... The message of the Bible isn't about being good and then God will accept you. That's just a lie. That's not truth. So in the law... Christian life isn't about following the law to get approval from God. But on the other, the other column is one titled license. It's not about license. What does license mean? Well, license means living any way that I please. The Oxford English Dictionary defines license as a liberty of action, especially when excessive, disregard of law or propriety, abuse of freedom. License is freedom without any responsibility. Do what you want. God will love you. He's a God of grace. He'll forgive you. It's fine. It's dealt with. It's trusting in God's grace and then living however you want because it doesn't really matter. That's abysmal. It's horrendous if we ever could imagine to live like that. It's like saying, God's a great forgiver and I'm a great sinner. So that's a great combination. And then living that out in your life. We can't imagine that, can we? I hope we can't imagine that. Paul says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For self-indulgence, in RSV translates it as, I, I really like that. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, becoming about us, what I want, what I feel like I need right now. And he's got this list of vices, hasn't he? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, sorcery drunkenness and orgies. And a lot of people would read that list and at that point pat themselves on the back and go, I'm doing all right. It's okay. And then you keep reading. Because then we get to a load of what other people might call respectable sins that don't look quite as bad. Anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions. You know, a lot of churches wouldn't put up with orgies, I hope, but they don't mind a little bit of anger and and division and dissension. But Paul puts them on the same list. What do we tolerate in our own hearts? And he says, Paul says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a big thing to say. So hang on a minute, if I'm doing these things, does that mean I'm not saved? Hang on, what's going on here? But what Paul's trying to say is, We need to understand that good works aren't the basis of our acceptance from God, but good works should be the result of it. Goodness should flow out of our relationship with God, and and they should characterize who we are. And if they're not there in our lives, then we should really take a look at ourselves and say, something's not right here. 
Because the Christian life, the church, is supposed to be above reproach. It's supposed to characterize holiness and righteousness and not division and not dissension. And actually, sometimes we just need to name sin for what it is in our midst and stop making excuses for it and say, you know what? We are in the wrong. We're not holy. We're too accepting of things. We don't challenge unholiness. We don't challenge sin. I don't challenge it enough in my own life. And this isn't about pointing fingers at one another, but saying, you know what? The the heart of the problem is my heart, often. Lord, please change me. And Paul's urging the church not to say, well, God's grace is so sufficient, just forget your mistakes, don't worry about it. He's saying, no, 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 no. Because you've encountered the grace of God so much, your heart should be warm towards God and those things should begin to fall away. Freedom doesn't mean that we live however we like. That's not true freedom. They talk about freedom in Iraq. This guy Ali talks about freedom, freedom to live just as he wants. Is that real freedom? No, he's just exchanged one form of bondage for another, is the reality. And we can do that as Christians. We we. We receive freedom in Christ. But then we start moving into other areas of bondage if we're not careful. Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If you use your freedom from the law as an opportunity to sin, you've entered a different kind of slavery. You're a slave to sin. So we have these two lists. One is kind of the religious way, trying to be really holy, trying to look really good, trying to just win God's approval. That's just religion, living according to the law to the law and the rules. It's dangerous, actually, that kind of thing, because you might look good, but you don't really know God. And the other way is just to simply go into licentiousness and just do what you want to. And both aren't freedom both are forms of slavery so what is true freedom then verses 13 14 you were called to freedom brothers and sisters and we don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself And then verse 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What's true freedom? True freedom isn't about satisfying selfish desires. True freedom expresses itself in serving and loving through the Spirit. So we have these columns, the law, license, And the third column, in a sense, is true freedom, true gospel freedom. And I think there's two things we need to notice about true gospel freedom. Number one, it begins in the heart. It's inside out. As I say, it starts with me. It starts in my own heart. And it's about love. Simply, it's about love. See, when when you know you're really loved and love consumes you, you can't imagine doing anything else. See, why do we sin? Bottom line, because we want to, I would suggest. If sin was such a heinous thing that disgusted us, then probably we would back away from it. I know ultimately we often look at the sin in our life and it does disgust us, but that initial hook, 
We do it because we want to. For the same reason that I reach the chocolate biscuits that my wife hides on the top shelf where she thinks I won't notice them, and then I notice them, and I think I shouldn't eat those because I'm going to get fat. Uh. But I do eat one. Why? Because I want to. Sometimes I resist. <laughs> but sin entices us. It waves a flag at us and goes, Woo! Remember me? I'm lovely. And we get pulled in, don't we? Sin is the worm that fishermen use to catch a fish. If they just cast a hook into the water, the fish would look at it and go, ah, doesn't look very nice, a bit sort of metallic and sharp. But the, the, the worm entices and sin does it, it it trips us it snares us it traps us it calls us back into the past it's a ghost from the past that that kind of appears again and says remember me i wasn't that bad and we collude with it if we're not careful so we need to guard our own heart because that's where the battle is the heart and the mind there's a battle going on there isn't it and we find ourselves ensnared by sin so easily paul says it's tied up, the law, the whole kind of the deal with what God wants is tied up in love. And that's the most important command. Love, love, we need to love. The gospel gives us a new heart. The gospel message of Jesus, love overwhelms us. And that's the thing we have to recognise, at times we want to sin. But I bet, I bet... I don't bet. I'm sure that it, if think back to a time of, that you were really loving worship, maybe it was tonight, maybe it was another evening, maybe it was a time on your own where you're lost in worship, maybe it was a time at uh, Soul Survivor or HTB or in a big conference or maybe in your car on your own, but a time when you were just absolutely lost in love and worship. We have those glorious times, that, uh, uh, don't we? And it's just... You know, I live for those times. I love it. I love just being lost in worship, where the, the veil between heaven and earth is so thin, you can feel the Father's love. You can feel the touch of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus standing right. So you, you, in those moments, you almost just want to be taken to go home. I hope you've experienced times like that. But when the veil is so close and, and, and God is so there, in those moments, can you imagine sinning right in the middle of that moment? Can you imagine thinking, do you know what, actually what I really want to do right now in the middle of this glorious time of worship, I'd just love to go and find some porn on my computer. Let's be real about this. Or in the middle of those times of glorious worship where you feel the Father's love, you think, do you know, I really want revenge on that person at work. Would you, in those moments, kind of take on adulterous thoughts or anger or jealousy or fits of whatever it may be? I don't think probably we can. It just can't quite imagine how those two things would come together. Because when we're caught up in love, the last thing we want to do is sin. That's what Paul's saying here. When we know how much we're loved, when we're held in the embrace of love, the thought of sin just doesn't appear, appeal at all, no matter how much it's appealed at other times. And I guess that's a cautionary tale for us, isn't it? Because when we're close to the Father, when we're in love, we know we're loved and we're held and we're in fellowship with the, with the Trinity and we're in fellowship with one another, it is harder for the enemy to ensnare us, to trap us. We as Christians 
more often fall into sin when we become isolated, when we step out of the body. And, and often that can happen because we're wounded or bruised. But often we step out and we become disillusioned or we become unfocused or we lose our gaze or we get confused. And sometimes, sometimes in those times when they're prolonged, sometimes we, we trip and we stumble and we lose our way. Which is why Jesus is often described as the good shepherd who wants to go and find the lost sheep and bring them back into a place of safety, into the fold. That's why I think church is important for us, where we can stand together. I don't care about institutions, and I don't care whether it's this church or that church, but the church, and when I talk about the church, I mean the, the people of God, whether it's meeting in a house or a community or a cafe or a building. The body, the family, we, we hold one another accountable. We protect one another's backs. We don't become isolated and vulnerable. We stay in fellowship. We encourage one another. We stay in a place of worship. And our heart is warmed more and more and more towards God and towards his kingdom. And sin doesn't have that same appeal anymore. So it begins in our hearts. But it has to be. And this is the second thing. Number one, it begins in the heart. But the second thing, it has to be a work of the Spirit. Which is why we have to be a spiritual people, a people who are open to the Spirit of God. Because you notice there, it's the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, 23. It's not called the fruit of discipleship or the fruit of hard work or the fruit of intense kind of prayerful life, although that's obviously a good thing. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. It comes by a journey connecting with the Spirit as we yield to him and he produces fruit in our lives. True freedom is experienced in the Spirit's power as we're transformed from the inside out. So we're not under the law, but we're not free to indulge in whatever we want. Instead, we're free to love and be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or put another way, we don't obey God in order to be accepted, but we obey God as a result of being accepted. And it becomes our nature to walk according to his Spirit. That's why we sing that song. That's why that, that old hymn's so great, isn't it? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's not an obligation. It's not but it's, it's in the middle of worship. Oh, God, your love is so amazing. How could I not give everything to you, including all my weaknesses, including all my failures? I want to be different. I don't want to stay in this perpetual pattern of brokenness. Heal me, Lord. Transform me. So to finish off with, so what do we do with all this freedom? What does it look like? Well, there's three things. Number one, let's keep the gospel central. At times of pressure, at times of challenge to the church, sometimes the gospel, the, the word of God can slip off our radar. I'm really sensing God challenging us in this at the moment. Let's keep returning to what Christ is saying, to what God is saying to us through the word that we feast on his word. We encounter Christ through the gospel, the good news message. And we need to keep reminding ourselves, standing firm in that freedom that's through Christ. And keep returning to what Christ has done for us. Let's keep Jesus, keep the cross at the centre. He's done it all for us. So we keep the gospel message, the message of salvation central. Number two, verse 24 says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The truth is, 
When you became a Christian, your sinful nature was dealt a fatal blow. Our sinful desires are still there sometimes, and the, the enticement to go back into some of that, but, but they're mortally wounded. They're kind of dying. They no longer have rule and reign over you. It may feel like sometimes they do, but it's a lie. They don't. Christ has rule and reign over you. So I think sometimes we need to just consider them dead. Whereas actually sometimes what we do is we give them a bit of first aid every now and then. We, we feed them. We nurture them and we, we let them grow up again like weeds. And we watch them and instead of being brutal and saying, no, I'm cutting them down. Sometimes we need to remember that they were dealt a fatal blow at the cross and not go back there. True freedom doesn't mean indulging the sinful nature. We need to be radical sometimes. And when we're struggling, we need to admit that with one another and ask for help. And that's not a failure. That's a victory, I would suggest, if we ask one another. Because we're in a family. There is no judgment. The truth is we're all struggling with different things. And actually to stand together with someone and say, will you pray with me in this? I want real freedom here. So we can stand with one another and ask for that. And whack them on the head with other people's help. And finally, verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. I remember when I was in the, uh, the Boy Scouts, when I was a young boy, I was like a thousand years ago, I remember going on parade through Whitstable High Street where I lived, and I got to carry the flag. And I don't know if you've ever tried to walk in formation where you're marching, particularly when you're holding this really long flag, which sits on a little have a little thing around your neck and it sits in a little woggly thing. It's very exciting. I could not get to do the same as everyone else, left, right. And you know when you start wrong and you're doing the opposite to everyone else and then you try and do the, try and think, I was doing that the whole way. I looked such an idiot the whole way through this march. My brother was in the crowd just laughing at me all the way apparently because I couldn't walk in step <laughs> with all the other scouts. Well, maybe I was in step and they were all wrong. That's how I'd like to think about it. But what, what God, I think, wants us to do is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. To keep with him, not ahead of him, not behind, but to keep in formation with him. And it's in my increasingly daily prayer when I wake up in the morning, Holy Spirit, will you walk with me today? Will you help me, more importantly, walk with you? To not go ahead of myself, to go ahead of you, to veer off the path. But I want to look, where are you leading me? I want to walk with you. I want to walk in step with you, side by side. To be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So that when I come to those crossroads moments where... There's a temptation that comes my way or a pressure or a thought. My flesh would like to respond one way. But I look to the left and the Holy Spirit's there. <laughs> That's what I want. And sometimes we walk away from the Holy Spirit in order to make wrong choices because we know we're going down a path and actually we choose to step away from God. I want to walk in step with the Holy Spirit to have him not breathing down my shoulder like a kind of angry father, but actually walking with me as a friend who wants to lead me into truth. He wants to lead me close to the Father's heart. So I want to pray for us. Pray that we can experience freedom in our lives. Freedom that isn't just a blessing for us, but a freedom that's a blessing for our community, for our families, for the workplaces we live in. Because freedom is incredible. I remember when God delivered me from fear. And I experienced freedom from fear. I remember the night when God set me free. I had various bits of deliverance and being set free from all sorts of things. I've said before, so you'll have heard my story many times. One of the things I was terrified was was um, the dark. 
I mean, properly paralyzingly terrified of the dark until I was 21. And I, I remember being set free from the dark one evening. And the next night, coming back to the apartment where I was living in France and walking down this corridor where the light didn't work when I arrived there. And I remember laughing as I walked down this corridor. Because for the first time in my life, I wasn't afraid of the dark. And it was such a ludicrous feeling that the only response that I could do was to laugh. Because I didn't know what freedom was until that moment. I thought being afraid of the dark was just a normal part of being a human being. And I just kind of, that was the deal. I'd never known freedom until I was 21 years old and God set me free spiritually of fear. And it took me quite a long time to begin to relearn how to live my life because I'd never experienced freedom like that before. So suddenly the world became a whole new place. I wasn't afraid of the future. I wasn't afraid of people in the same way. And I had to relearn how to form positive relationships that I didn't have to suddenly project a a super confident self because I was hiding behind a mask. Suddenly I was free. And I could actually be me. But I wasn't sure who I was at that point because I'd never been free before. And so it was a journey of working out my freedom. And we're all on that journey. So I want to pray that God's Spirit will help us to experience freedom, to encounter him afresh, to live a life more pleasing to him. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and I'm going to pray for us. I wonder if there's um, an area in your life where you'd really like to see a new level of freedom. We sing that song, don't we? My, My chains are gone. My chains are gone. You know, sometimes when we experience salvation, when Jesus breaks into our life, we we experience freedom, freedom from the past, and we experience hope for our future. We experience the Father's love and breakthrough. But sometimes as we journey through life, we, we recognize there are still other chains that hold us, and sometimes they're chains that tie us a little bit back to the past. Sometimes they're chains that kind of tie our hands or our feet together. Sometimes it's kind of um, had a picture of a, like a, a, a gag in someone's mouth. That you know you're saved, you know you're loved, you know you're a Christian, you're free, but there's a kind of a bondage over you speaking out. I don't know if that's in the area of evangelism or just generally just being free to speak your opinion. For you, God wants to say this. Your voice matters. It was a freedom that Christ set you free. He wants to hear your voice more and he wants other people to hear your voice because your voice, your opinion matters.